Hello and welcome back to the James Kennedy Podcast. Hope you're all doing good. This is January. I thought we'd do an episode on food because, you know, everyone's coming out the gates at the start of a new year now, trying to get their health and fitness in order, signing up to the gym, checking out their nutrition, you know, cutting back on the booze. And the problem is, is that there's so much misinformation out there, so much noise about what is the right thing to do. I've had quite an active interest in nutrition and health and fitness for many years now. In fact, it wasn't so long ago that I would say that I was actually obsessed with it. You know, I was working out several times a day at a personal trainer. I had all sorts of like calorie macro counting apps on my phone to, you know, to check every morsel that passed my lips. I was in peak shape. I was eating rice, chicken and broccoli every day and I was depressed as fuck. Never been unhappier in my life. And as it subsequently turns out, I was completely doing a lot of the wrong things. Fast forward a few years and I don't have the six pack anymore. And yes, I'm back on the booze. But do you know what? I'm much happier mentally and I feel much better physically, to be honest, because I feel like I have a much healthier, realistic human relationship with food. I've realized that health and well-being is not all about macro counting and eating broccoli and rice and nothing else. It's not about having a six pack. It's about how you feel inside. It's about giving your body the things it needs to do its job, man, to keep you fit and healthy and to keep you Living that long life, man, you know, because everybody worries about dying. But you know, do you know what's worse than that? Worse than dying is living till you're 100 and the last 50 years of your life sucking. Having a long ass 50 or 40 years of your life where you can't enjoy yourself or do anything because you've got bad health and you're wheezy and you can't walk and you can't bend over and life just one long, boring, painful pain in the ass. That's worse than checking out early. All for the sake of a little bit of knowledge, a little bit of common sense, and for just getting your shit together a little bit in younger life. It's not difficult, man. I mean, if you're in your 20s or your teens, do it, man. Go go for gold. Get it out of your system now. But as soon as you get to your 30s, you need to start wising up a little bit. Because believe me, man, I've seen it. It catches up with you fast and it is brutal and it is oftentimes irreversible. And so as someone who tends to fluctuate between the extreme ends of things, you know, I, I like if I'm partying, I'm doing it every night for like 10 years, <laughs> hammered every single night, you know, which I did. Uh, and then I just said, oh, I'm, I need to get a little bit of health and fitness into my life. So then I, could, I bounce to the extreme other end of the spectrum and then I cut out all booze. I cut out all the good stuff. I'm exercising every day and I get absolutely shredded and I, I, I do that thing. And I get obsessed about that. And that's not healthy either for your, for your mind or your body. So I've quite thoroughly explored both ends of that spectrum, and uh, I've realized that the sweet spot, unfortunately, like as, as it is with most things, is in the middle. You know, with, of course, frequent visits to the extreme end of the dark side, of course, you know, never trust a person without vices. You know, life is for living, man. But as I said, you're going to live it for a lot longer if you calm the fuck down with the burgers. So I figured it'd be cool to do a whole episode on food and get to the bottom of the truth on this issue and to cut through the noise and actually get the real info from someone that actually knows what they're talking about, who can tell us for definite what's good for us, what's bad for us, why, and where do we start. And because I'm so good to you guys, I didn't want to go small fry on this. I wanted to go right to the top. So ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and everything in between, we are privileged to be joined today by Professor, wait for it, Tim Spector. Oh yes, the Tim Spector. You know the one I'm talking about. Tim is an epidemiologist, a leading scientist in understanding the gut microbiome, a best-selling author and food writer, co-founder of the brilliant Zoe Project, and one of the top 100 most cited scientists on the planet. We are more than humbled to be able to speak with him today. So Professor Tim Spector, thanks so much for doing this, man. I really appreciate it. And how are you doing, sir? 
I'm marvellous. Thank you for inviting me. Well, thank you for coming, and I'm glad you're well. I'm, I'm assuming it's all that healthy food you've been eating. Must be something to do with it, yeah. Um, <laughs> still alive, that's the main thing. <laughs> well, I suppose that helps, especially for a podcast. Um, so I think because we are on borrowed time today, we don't have you for long, and I want to make use of every second of this conversation. Would it be cool if we could start with an explanation of something which I think is an essential underpinning to everything that's going to follow on later in the conversation, which is an explanation of what exactly is the gut microbiome? What is it? Why is it important? And what does it mean for our health and general physical and mental well-being? That microbiome is the community of all the gut microbes, the microscopic organisms that live in our bodies. Mainly we're talking about the ones that live in our lower intestine, the colon. And there are around 100 trillion of these guys, and they weigh the same. If you put them all together, they weigh about the same as our brain. Wow. So they're a substantial group of uh, collection of microbes and their genes and they're essentially like chemical factories that they um they consist of bacteria archaea uh, fungi uh, yeast parasites uh, and viruses but we mainly know about the bacteria that's what we can study best and by thinking of them as rather than this disparate group of things we think of them as an organ that is is the way to think about them now. And it's only really come to prominence in the last 10 years, I'd say, um, that we've realized quite what an impact they have on our bodies. We can't live without them because we need all the chemicals they produce. And they produce vitamins, they produce um, uh, brain hormones, they they produce uh, chemicals that are important for our appetite and our uh, weight control. And... Above all else, they are absolutely crucial for our immune system to work properly so that they produce these chemicals that fine-tune our immune system to not attack us too much and give us allergies and autoimmune diseases uh, and at the same time protect us from infections and protect us from cancers and from rapid aging. So really, they do everything Mm. and they're as important to us as having a liver. And uh, if we took it away, you know, we really wouldn't last very long at all. So wow. that's that's where we are now in our current understanding, which has only grown really, as I said, in the last few years. And it and and really, we realise that everyone is completely unique in their microbiome. So unlike our genes that we share about ninety nine point five percent of with each other, we're very similar genetically to each other. You and I are like fifth cousins on average. Um, our microbes, we'd only share about 25% with each other. So we've got 75% really pretty unique. And, and we've all got a few species that are unique, in, even if we counted you know, 10 or 20,000 of us. So it's a whole new world of, uh, that explains our many things, uh, but how we react to our environment, particularly how we react to our diet, is highly personalized. And how we react to every medicine we take, whether it's a paracetamol or it's an antidepressant or it's a cancer drug, has a very different effect on us because our microbes treat these drugs just like food and they will make it into different chemicals and have different effects. So hugely important. 
That's incredible, man. So, I mean, is that, does that explain then why different people respond to different foods and different diets and different treatments uh, differently to each other? So when you get these fad diets that come along and they say, hey, just do these handful of things and eat these handful of foods and you're all going to get these results. Does your understanding of the gut microbiome prove that to be incorrect? Absolutely, yes. So we've known that people don't respond to uh, drugs the same way. Um, you know, everything from recreational drugs to uh, pharmaceuticals that, you know, there's always a proportion that don't respond. And we now know that one of the biggest factors of that is not the genes are in our cells, but although that has a, some effect, it's actually the gut microbes because they either inactivate the drug or they, they you know, they, they're needed to switch it on. And the same is true once you make that analogy and you realize drugs are chemicals, but also food essentially are chemicals. Mm. And this is another big insight that we've only got recently we realized that the food we eat contains over 30,000 different chemicals. And all the time, our, our body senses these as chemicals. It doesn't see a carrot as something with, you know, a bit of uh, vitamin A or retinol right. in it and uh, orange pigment. It sees as 800 different chemicals that it has to break down. And so clearly, the, we're going to react differently to that carrot depending on what our existing gut microbes are and produce different chemicals from it. And the same is true of a burger or anything else right. like that. So we have worked out with um, the company Zoe that I founded that people react very differently to the same foods. And in this big experiment we did called the, the Zoe Predict study, we took a thousand people, mainly twins, gave them identical foods at identical times of the day, and there was about a, a 10 to 20-fold difference in how same normal people without disease responded in terms of their blood sugars, their blood fats, and their metabolism. So we've just suddenly for the first time realized that the foundations of what we were teaching people about a healthy diet and um, this is the way to eat and this is the way to lose weight really don't apply to, to most of us and that we have to sort of really start reinventing the whole process. That's fascinating stuff, man. So essentially what you're saying then is the gut microbiome is the center of all of this. So an understanding of your gut microbiome and how you can look after it is the central thing that people need to understand in order to set themselves up for good nutritional well-being and good health. Yeah, and the way to look after your gut microbiome is to make the best food choices. Right. And I think that, that, is, that is the number one message here, that the most important thing you, everyone out there can do for the health is to pick the right foods every day. Hmm. And that far exceeds uh, all these other decisions we make in life. And we make, you know, we're making hundreds of minor food decisions every day. We don't think of any of it. We've always just said, I'll do what, you know, the government tells me. I'll do what right. I see in the supermarket label. I'll do what my neighbor told me, you know, or my sister yeah. uh, said worked for her. And I think we've got to suddenly break all that, really think, actually, all this stuff is uh, very old science. It's now been surpassed. That's really the, in the you know last century. Uh, we need to forget everything we've heard about calories. We need to forget about 
macronutrients, about fat being bad for you. You know, sugar has always been bad for everybody. Um, and start to think of ourselves as much more complex machines than the very simple model of a, a human as a sort of moving furnace. Right. That you just feed one in it boils off heat yeah. and then poos them out the other end. And, you know, that, that, that is just not how we work. Are there general principles that pe- people can apply then when it comes to their food? So if we can scratch away all of the old noise, which I'm glad to hear that we can do because it is noisy, especially nowadays. There's so much contradictory information you can get on the internet about what's good or what's bad for you. Um, are there general principles that people can apply to start making better decisions that are going to benefit their gut microbiome? Yes, I mean... With the caveat that there is personalization and that, of course. Um, you know, at the moment you've got to pay some money to have a personalized nutrition test and not everyone can afford that. Um, so there's still a lot you can do uh, just by understanding more about what benefits your gut microbes. So there are some general rules and you've got to realize that to be healthy, we want you to have as much diversity in your species as possible. So. We think in the West, we've lost about half of our microbial species in the last 100 years Wow! Uh, compared to our ancestors through mismanagement, really, of um, our, our guts and our diet and our lifestyle through antibiotics, processed foods, right. um, sterile living, etc. Um, so we want to get that diversity back. The more diverse, the more greater the range of chemicals your body can produce to help your immune system, right. etc. So there are, I've got like five pretty key rules that everyone can follow. First is uh, 30 plants a week is what you should be trying to aim at. And many people uh, fall off their chair when they, when they think that because they say, well, I, you know, I didn't know there were 30 plants or, um, <laughs> uh, you know, apart from peas and carrots, what can <laughs> I possibly uh, eat? But it's not as hard as it sounds because uh, a nut is a – every nut and every seed uh, and every herb is, is a plant in, in effect. Mm, of course, yeah. Um, and, you know, as well as the standard fruits and vegetables, different colored uh, fruits and vegetables have different chemicals, so therefore count. Right. And we'll be nourishing different microbes. So it's, it's having a different concept of what plants mean. So we talk about nuts, seeds, herbs, adding a spice mix to mm. uh, a tablespoon of a spice mix to uh, your meals will increase your gut microbe diversity and health. Uh, because there's, there's so many different specialist microbes that just love a bit of turmeric or right. love a bit of cardamom. Uh, they'll use that and, and, and use that as a source of energy. And that's, that's really important to understand. So this diversity, so rather than uh, five a day and having the same five a day, right. which are often unhealthy fruits that are you know, too sugary and, yep. or orange juices, etc. The idea that it's spread over a week and you get this diversity in is where we need to go. Second point is about eating the rainbow, uh, eating brightly colored fruits and vegetables, because uh, we now know that they can, the more brightly colored, they contain uh, chemicals which are natural defense chemicals for plants called polyphenols. Yeah. And these are chemicals that stop insects 
uh, eating the plants. They protect them from the sun and the, and, the, and the wind and the cold. But when we eat them, uh, and they're often slightly bitter, tannic ones, like you find on grape skins or uh, coffee grounds, for example, um, which is a plant, a coffee. We can get onto, the, onto that. Amen. The health food. Um, so high polyphenols, brightly colored, bitter uh, plants where you need, and that, again, includes uh, high polyphenol foods. You get dark chocolate, olive oil, um, coffee, red wine, uh, things you wouldn't necessarily regard as healthy, but we now know are. No, that's good to know. And third one is fermented foods. Um, everyone's probably tried and, and tasted yogurt. We don't realize that uh, at least artisan cheese not is, uh, contains microbes and is a fermented food. But uh, we need to be trying more powerful ones, such as kefirs, which is fermented milk, kombucha, which is fermented tea, kimchi, which is uh, fermented uh, cabbage uh, and, and kraut, which is uh, fermented cabbage without the chilies and all the other stuff in it. So right. having the small amounts of those every day is, is another way to boost your gut microbes. And it makes, improves their function as well. Amazing. And then, and then final two are give your, give your gut a rest overnight. So try and See if you can uh, fast for 12 to 14 hours overnight. Okay. And that's been shown to improve your metabolism and improve your gut, micro, gut health. Wow. Now, the idea that if they're resting, you get a repair team can come out and clean up your gut wall. If you're always eating, you're always having midnight snacks and very early breakfasts, uh, simply you don't get that rest period. Right. And your gut lining suffers. It doesn't get cleaned up properly. And there's now about 20 studies showing that this time-restricted eating is actually beneficial for you. And so we should be eating in smaller time windows, and that's good for your gut health. And the final one is uh, reduce the amount of ultra-processed foods you eat. Right. So uh, artificials, because A, they contain very little fiber, they contain all kinds of chemicals you can't find at home. Uh, many of your microbes won't encounter in nature, including things like artificial sweeteners, which come from the petroleum industry, right. uh, emulsifiers, which stick the foods together. All of these are bad for your, your gut health and uh, you know, will make them produce abnormal chemicals that can actually make you uh, okay, yep. metabolically unhealthy, more like a, a diabet diabetic. So... They're, the five, they're my sort of five rules that everyone can apply regardless of where their starting point is. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think that's, that's a much better rule than trying to, uh, you know, restrict calories or yeah. um, reduce fats or, you know, follow labels in any particular way because it, it allows you to be flexible with what you're eating. Yeah. It encourages eating more, which is what we're trying to do, more diversity, not less doesn't restrict you in any way. It doesn't say you can't eat yeah. ultra-processed foods, because we all do, um, but just consciously aware that, you know, you're trying to get that, improve that balance. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and thanks for sharing that with us, because to have 
all of that condensed into five core principles is a massive help for people, I think. And so where then do the fruits of life fit in with this? Because, you know, I'm a massive lover of all the good stuff, you know, whiskey, cake, pizza, <laughs> chocolate, biscuits, you know what I'm saying? I mean, where, is there a space for them in this? I think there's a space for all food in my, in my idea, because I think what my philosophy is, and, and that of, of Zoe, the, the, the nutrition company, is that we're trying to change people's habits for life, not not just for a few weeks. Yeah, 100%. And if you take people, you can never, ever have cake again uh, or you can't have pizza again, they're not going to accept it for very long. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I eat cake and pizza, uh, but I don't have them every day. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's what we need to try and work out. Yes, it can be part of your diet. And if you follow those other rules and you are having plenty of plants, your body is much better adapted to occasionally uh, splurge out on some fast food or right. a bit of dodgy cake for a birthday or a celebration. <laughs> so I think we still want to maintain um, the idea that food is all about happiness. It's about social sharing. It's about fun. It's not about restriction. It's not about obsession. It's not about, uh, you know, depriving yourself. Right. And the idea is that we're just trying to get people to add more to their plate, think of new different foods they can eat every day, uh, expand from the rather beige, bland horizon yeah. to, you know, all the amazing foods that are out there. So, yeah, uh, I think it's, it's just a question of putting it in context. Right. You know, a bit of cake once a week. Uh, as a treat, uh, sit down because your mum wants to, you know, give you some cake uh, when you come around to visit. Um, or, you know, you have a Friday night pizza. That's absolutely fine. Just make sure you, you know, you're going to compensate the next day and um, make sure you, you've got all those plants in there to keep the microbes happy that might have taken a small hit during that, uh, the overdose of frozen pizza, or it was. <laughs> well, that's music to my ears, man. Um, and what is the truth then about the Mediterranean diet? Is that just another popular myth? I think the Mediterranean diet is probably the one that survived uh, scientific scrutiny the most of all these uh, these diets, because actually it includes a lot of the, the parameters I've been talking about. That's what I'm thinking, yeah. It's, it's quite diverse. It's it, it includes a fair bit of plants in it. Uh, it still allows you to eat meat um, uh, and fish. It has dairy and fermented foods in it. And, uh, of course, it, a lot of its nuts and seeds are a big part of it as well. But extra virgin olive oil is crucial. So both cooking with it and putting it on your salads also helps. So generally, most of the studies are still supporting um, that the general principles of uh, a Mediterranean diet suit most people. So I, I've not found anything to say that doesn't work. People have a different idea of what a Mediterranean diet is. Um, some people say, well, that means I can eat as much pasta as I like. <laughs> um, that's not really what it was more like, what is the traditional Mediterranean diet rather than what do you see people eating um, uh, who have some it uh, Italian blood. Well, I feel like the Greeks have got it pretty right. I mean, I have a Greek breakfast every morning, which is, you know, yogurt, which you've already mentioned as being 
great for your gut microbiome. Um, honey, uh, fruit, and something like walnuts on top as well with a black coffee. That's my breakfast. Uh, very traditional Greek breakfast. Plus, you know, you've got things like the Greek salad then as well, which is a wide variety of, of colors on your plate and cheese and olive oil, all the things you've mentioned. So I feel like there's a lot about the, if we're talking about Mediterranean diets, so there's a lot about Greece, I think, that, that are on the money. Do you think? Absolutely. But you've got to remember that that's not necessarily the modern Greek diet because they have quite a lot of child obesity. And oh. they've, they've taken to um, lots of takeaway pizzas and um, right. pastries right. as well. So, okay. you know, you've got, to be, you've got to make sure that you realize it's not full of stodge. It is actually full of fruits and vegetables right. and the original, the original concept. Uh, but it was, it was quite a high-fat diet as well so with the yogurts and the goat's cheese. and. Mm. Uh, uh, and the meats, and but it it does have that diversity, uh, and it, it is pleasant to eat for most people. So Hell yeah, yeah I'm, I'm definitely, you know, if you want to know roughly what sort of base it on, um, if you follow my five rules and you sort of have in your head a Mediterranean, old-fashioned Mediterranean type diet, then that can work. I'm so glad to hear that, man, because the food is amazing as well. And another thing which I've heard as well is that, uh, again, speaking about the Mediterranean diet, is the uh, the popular inclusion of a glass of red wine or two, uh, which apparently is also really good for you. Is that true? A glass? Yeah, we, we did a study showing that um, one or two glasses of red wine, um, you know, about uh, six times a week. So, you know... Uh, did give you a greater diversity of gut microbes compared to people who didn't drink at all or to people who drank uh, three or more glasses of wine. So um, alcohol in general is not good for your gut microbes, but there seem to be a few exceptions. And the reason that red wine is an exception is because of the grape skin giving you these polyphenols I talked about, these antioxidants in very high numbers. So we think... In a way, if you could do without the alcohol and just have that fermented grape skin, that would be an amazing uh, right. health. Um, artisan cider is the other one that's uh, uh-huh. probably, probably nearly as good, but there's less work on that. I'm guessing whiskey is a no-go then. Sorry. Damn it. <laughs> Never mind. And brains bitter doesn't work either, but uh, there you go. I was going to say, yeah, I was hoping that you were going to tell me that a few shorts of whiskey was probably better than seven pints of lager, but I'm guessing neither are good for me, so. No, there's no, there's nothing good for the microbes there. Too much alcohol just kills them off, unfortunately. Damn it. Okay, well, at least like I get to keep red wine. That's something. Um, so whilst we're like sort of busting popular misconceptions here, um, what is the deal with meat? Because there are so many contradictory narratives around meat, including, you know, you need it for your protein or no, it's really bad for you because it's really fatty and it clogs up your arteries. And of course, you know, there are the ethical and environmental concerns as well. Um, what are your thoughts and what does the science say? Well, I, I researched this quite a lot for the book and um, the conclusion was that Processed meats, um, I could find nothing really good about them for health. So we're talking about uh, cheap salamis, uh, cheap right. hams, uh, frozen meats in lasagnas and ready meals, uh, cheap sausages, uh, bacon, all associated with increased risk of uh, increased mortality and cancer. But if you take high-quality meats um, uh, on their own that haven't been through this processing 
where you know they've been radically changed and add chemicals added to them. The data shows that in moderation, there's no real increased risk uh, if if they're taking it if you can eat enough vegetables with them. So um, you know, I think most people um, in this country overeat meat. Yeah. Uh, to a large extent, which means they don't have enough room on their plate for vegetables, right. and they don't think about vegetables because the plate is dominated by that plate of meat, yeah. which, although it may not be harming them because they're not having space for the good stuff, it is. Um, my view is that we can still have a healthy diet that includes you know, a couple of pieces of, of meat a week uh, if we avoid highly processed meat which is the majority of it right so um, but the main reason to reduce meat uh, intake apart from increasing your plants is that it's probably the single be- single most important thing we can do to uh, help climate change 100 percent. Yeah. Uh, red meats particularly uh, beef and lamb yeah. um, are horrendous in terms of the carbon footprint and we should be you know having less of them, picking higher quality ones, paying more right. for it, uh, and not be subsidizing as we are uh, all this, this cheap meat economy, um, which is basically killing our planet as well. Yeah, 100%. Great point. Well made. Um, and that's closely related to the next myth that I want to bust, which is the one of milk. Um, what's the deal with that? Because again, you hear a lot of very contradictory uh, so-called facts about milk. What's the deal with milk and do we need it? Um, I don't think adults need milk. Um, it's um, it's fairly neutral for health, I would say, in moderation. Okay. I don't think it's particularly bad or particularly good. Um, some some elements in children, it's a very good source of um, nutrients for for children and adolescents to some extent. It does contain natural things like iodine that um, can stop some thyroid diseases, but um, it, it is not good. Again, not good for the planet for the same reasons we talked about is it uses a lot of land because you've got lots of dairy herds producing this, you know, and uh, it is just culturally, you know, in Northern Europe, we, you know, we, we were brought up to have other animals' breast milk, yeah. which when you start calling, you know, well, why are we still eating breast milk as adults, right. support, which have grown up by now? <laughs> uh, uh, and so... If, if you can switch to an alternative, gets people off dairy milk, which again is massively subsidized to be cheap, but farmers don't make much money on it, um, uh, we'd be better off. So we could dramatically c- cut our milk consumption without affecting our health at all. I mean, we would improve the planet. If we switch to plant milks, uh, soy is a, an alternative, but it is quite highly processed and right. um, it's better for the environment. It's not perfect, but relatively is better. Um, but I worry about all that processing. Mm. Then you've got oat milks, which are less processed, but um, some of them contain lots of pesticides right. from the oats and they're basically replacing a lot of fats and protein with sugars. Right. And many people like myself will get a sugar spike 
when they have a, a glass of oat milk. Right. And so doing that regularly is probably really bad for your health. So I, I don't think there's a clear answer. It sort of yeah. depends whether you've got ethics, environment, health uh, in that picture. But, you know, let's, let's have less of all of them. And, you know, if you are going to have dairy, ferment it because then there is clear benefit of health, or on your health. Right. And, you know, yogurts, cheese, um, kefir are all fantastic examples of uh, preserving these milks in a way that's really beneficial for your health. So, you know, if, you, if we are going to cause some environmental damage, at least it should be healthy for us. Great point. Yeah. Well, the final myth that I want to bust is around coffee because I love me some coffee. Um, and I've been told that it's actually pretty good for you. Um, what's the deal? And I hope this is good news. That's right. Yeah. We've changed our mind o- over the last 20 years and absolutely unequivocal evidence that up to five cups of coffee actually reduces your mortality and reduces your risk of heart attacks. Wow. Uh, and may may reduce cancers. Again, because it's full of polyphenols. Right. And it's that's why it's got that astringency to it on your tongue. Um, it's quite bitter. And it, it all comes from a fermented bean. Ah. And it also contains reasonable amounts of fiber, so that if you're having like three cups a day, that can be like five grams of fiber in your diet, wow. which is about a third of the average UK. Uh, fiber intake so it is a health drink so you know i'd much rather people drank coffee rather than orange juice which is something that is should be have a health warning on it really it just gives you a piece of diabetes yes because the sugar just the sugar yeah right it's uh pretty horrendous so gives you the same sugar spike as a, as a can of coca-cola and if you do that every day you're you're just going to be putting on weight and uh adding to your metabolic problems Wow, I never would have thought that about orange juice, but it makes a lot of sense now you mentioned it, yeah. Well, I suppose there's a lot of good news in what you're saying because, you know, yeah, i got to cut down on the whiskey, but I still get to keep the red wine, the chocolate, and the coffee. So, you know, every cloud. <laughs> exactly, and you can still get your occasional bit of cake. Thank God, man. You know, what would life be without cake? Um, well, I wanted to switch gears a little bit now and ask you about the, the amazing Zoe company and the Zoe app. Can you tell people who don't know what that's all about? Okay, well... Uh Zoe is a company that's a personalized nutrition company started six years ago, and people know it in two forms. Uh, because during COVID, we created um, the, the Zoe COVID study, and uh, we had about 4 million people downloaded it and were recording uh, their symptoms during COVID. And we got uh, the first real readouts in this country about what was going on. Uh, particularly in Wales, interestingly, where, you know, some of those initially, a lot of those big outbreaks were happening in South Wales. We were recording it, telling people what was going on, you know, a week or two before the government. So um, that was a fantastic success. That's a free app. And that is now uh, blended into the Zoe health study, which people can download for free. And we're doing this a way of tracking uh, health habits. So I talked about time-restricted eating, about uh, eating 30 plants. They're just a couple of things that people can go on and use the app to help them improve their habits. Now, and that's totally free, totally educational. The other side of the company is the commercial product, which uh, is basically a, a, a program. 
So it's not a diet, it's a, a, a way of eating for your personal self. It's understanding your own body. So you, uh, you buy a kit online from, again, joinzoe.com, and we've had 70,000 people already bought them. Wow. We had a waiting list of 300,000 people. Jesus. Uh, which we're getting through. Um, so it's been hugely popular. People get in the post a, gl- a glucose monitor, which uh, allows them to see their blood sugar in real time for two weeks on their phone. Wow. Um, it's just like getting a, a, you know, a, a continuous readout so you can see what effect orange juice or cake has on you. That's amazing. Um, you also get a, a test to see how your fat levels have changed after eating, see how long fat is hanging around in your body, which is another uh, thing we're trying to uh, pin down and varies a lot between people about how you process fats. And the third thing is a, a gut health test where we test your microbiome using the very latest genetic technology. And we put all those things together to give you a personalized score for your health, for those three domains, and that uh, once you've got the results, you can score any food that you see in a restaurant, in a supermarket, or you make yourself, and it will score it for you from a naught to 100 to say how good or bad it is for you personally. That is amazing. Um, depending on whether you are you know, good at processing sugars, uh, or fats, and we'll find out whether your Greek breakfast uh, is actually good for you because, or you might have problems processing all that fat uh, several hours later. It's very hard to tell yourself until you actually yeah. test it. And as I said, there's about a tenfold difference between people in how they uh, respond to these foods. So the idea is that you get scores for all your foods that really suit you as an individual. Awesome. You follow that for three months with the help of a nutritionist uh, who's guiding you through it so that instinctively you start to know what foods uh, suit you. Right, yeah. If you want a sandwich, what to add to it to improve your score, what to take away, you know, these things just to help you whilst continuing all these general principles about your gut health. So that's the, that's the basic plan. And we found uh, that... Most about eighty percent of people report if they've done it over three months, they generally report uh, having much more energy and feeling less hungry, and uh, a proportion also lose weight. But it's not a weight loss diet. No, this is something we want people to carry on for years. We believe over years they will lose weight. Right, uh, but they're also enjoying more food. They've got more energy. We're sort of trying to uh, improve people from the inside out. Um, and make people think about food in a different way that they appreciate the quality of what they're eating and they're moving away from these ultra-processed foods into these whole foods that have all these amazing uh, chemicals that feed your gut microbes. So, um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's a, a really a different way of thinking about food is what we're trying to do, both through the, both through the commercial product but also educating people through the the free app as well absolutely incredible one awesome 
thing that is uh, and as you say once people have done it for a few months they will become they'll become more educated as to what works for their personal physiology which is priceless priceless insight that people will have for the rest of their lives you know to benefit from yeah it's, it's empowering it's, so you're no longer you know waiting for someone to tell you this is good you can check yourself yeah and you and you you believe your own scores and you know we've got no vested interest in any of these products, so um, it, it's pretty unbiased um, advice that you're getting. And as you say, it's educating people for the rest of their lives. Yeah. It's not it's not a six week miracle diet uh, that we know fails uh, in you know ninety percent of people. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, what what a thing to have to have a gift to have given us all. I mean, I'll put the link in at the end, and I'll put it in the description of the podcast as well, so people can click and go straight through to check it out. Um, just before we leave, I also want to give a little plug to your latest book, Food for Life, The New Science of Eating Well, which came out just um, last October, I think. So it's, you know, it's hot off the shelves. Um, what can people expect to find in this one? Is, is all this stuff that we talked about today, can they expect to get some background on there? Everything I've discussed is in here. It's a huge, uh, it's a tome. It's um, basically an A to Z of food. Okay. It's like a practical eating guide of food. So you've got the theory in the first part which describes the gut microbes, the latest science on that, your metabolism, personalized health. And then it goes through the foods. You know, you've got the salad section, the uh, fruit section, the vegetables, berries, nuts, seeds, meats, etc. As a guide, as if you were going through a supermarket and saying, well, you know, I've got this amazing choice here. Most supermarkets have like 20,000 different items. How do I decide which ones are good for me or not and it's designed with that thing in mind so the next time you go and look say for a salad uh, you're thinking differently to the way you were before you read the book or heard this podcast so you'll be saying well you know they're they're all the same aren't they i always take the iceberg lettuce because that lasts longest in the fridge you know lasts longer than the average british prime minister (laughs) that's true Um, but you know, and I used to eat a lot of iceberg lettuce until I did my research. And but I, I realized now I would go for the other end of the aisle where they've got those loose leaf ones with purple leaves, Rosololo type ones. Right. Much more interesting looking. And there's a thousand fold difference in the polyphenol chemicals right. and nutrients between them. So an iceberg lettuce has nothing apart from water in it. Right. And the um, these really rich more tasty, slightly bitter-leaved uh, lettuces are so much more nutritious. And that's I – do, I sort of re- do this throughout the book, these sort of useful swaps and hints, uh, understanding a bit at the same time about fiber, polyphenols, uh, artificial chemicals, pesticides, all these things that we need to know, much, learn much more about. And it's the idea is to empower people. You give people the knowledge – they can then go on and uh, make sensible choices for themselves and their family. That is awesome. If everybody wants to rush out now and check out Tim's new book, it's called Food for Life, The New Science of Eating Well. That sounds like invaluable, priceless information to me. You know, because it is a minefield out there, you know, and people are busy and they haven't got a lot of time and it's easy to get bamboozled and confused and end up, you know, falling back on old habits. So to have that book, that amazing resource is, yeah, priceless. Yeah, we've got to realize it is complicated and, uh, you know, you, no one will ever know it all. And that's why 
we need summaries like this, but we also need to embrace the technology of apps and artificial intelligence to guide us through it. But right. To do that, we've got to break the mold of the past, realize that calories are irrelevant um, as far as good nutrition is concerned. It's all about the quality of the ingredients, getting back to basics. And going also back, as I said, you know, I want really people to enjoy food, enjoy their diversity, try new things. And that's very much what's in this book. There'll be many new ideas and things for people to, to try. Uh, and, you know, eat, eat well, sustainably, you know, for the next 20 years. Amen. Tim? Thank you so much for doing this. I know I've got to let you go now <laughs> as much as I don't want to, but I really, really appreciate you stopping by today and giving us all of this incredible and amazing and hard-earned insight that you've accumulated over the past many decades of hard work. This is invaluable information for helping people to live longer, healthier, happier lives. So, you know, on behalf of all of us, I thank you, Tim, for, uh, like I say, stopping by today and for everything you're doing in this field as well. The Zoe program that Tim mentioned earlier can be found at www.joinzoe.com. Tim's personal website is tim-spectre.co.uk. Tim is on Instagram at tim.spectre and he's on Twitter at timspectre. His awesome new book, Food for Life, The New Science of Eating Well, is out now and can be bought in all good bookstores. Tim, this has been a real pleasure and a real treat. Thank you so much for stopping by. Best wishes with everything coming up and we hope to speak to you again soon. My pleasure. Bye. Tim Spector, ladies and gentlemen, how awesome was that? Let me just remind you of some of the biog of that guy. Epidemiologist, a leading scientist in understanding the gut microbiome, best-selling author and food writer, founder of the brilliant Zoe Company, and one of the top 100 most cited scientists on the planet. You need be confused no more. If you want to know the truth about food and nutrition and diet, we just gave it to you. Brilliantly summarized and condensed into those five amazing points, which just make the whole thing a lot easier to navigate. Uh, I'm going to try and remind you of them if I can off the top of my head. The first point, and I'm off the top of my head, I, I'm lying actually. I did, I do take notes during these things. You know, I'm not, I'm not completely just like passive and just nodding and saying awesome every two seconds. This is, this is a, a highly professional situation. I've got notes on the screen. I'm making notes as we go. Okay. So I, I, I say off the top of my head so that I sound cool and intelligent uh, and intellectual up against these giants that I have on the podcast here. But really i'm i'm reading most of this shit so um, the five points that uh, that tim made were for gen the general principles that you should try and abide by if you want to have awesome nutritional health is number one aim for eating 30 plants a week rather than five a day and as tim said you know the, the good news is the coffee and red wine is a plant you know and, and also putting herbs and uh, seasoning and um, nuts in your food also counts as well as one of those 30 the second one was eat the rainbow. So you're going for like a lot of variety. You're looking for to get a lot of color on your plate and to keep it varied as well. So, you, you know, each of the things you eat is giving different bits of goodies to your, um, you know, your gut bacteria. And the gut bacteria, as unglamorous as it sounds and as it is, uh, is the main deal. That That's where it all happens in maintaining, you know, your body's uh, health and energy and longevity and immunity. So give it as much varied goodies as you can. The third point was include fermented foods. So that's things like, I, I, like I say, I have yogurt with my breakfast every morning. That's a good one, you know, tasty as well. He also mentioned kefir, kimchi, um, kombucha, and something else beginning with K that I didn't scribble down. Um, all the K stuff, I think they're quite expensive though, I think. So just stick with yogurt, you know, perhaps. Um, the fourth one was stop eating, man. 
Jesus Christ, take a break. Um, give give your, your your system a chance to digest last night's food before you immediately start piling on some more shit. Um, Tim said to leave about 12 to 14 hours between your last night's meal and this, tomorrow's breakfast. That makes a lot of sense. I can see the logic behind that one. And the fifth point was cut out processed food. Well, duh. You know what I mean? That's like a fucking no-brainer. I mean, if you're over 18, what are you doing eating at McDonald's anyway? You know what I mean? Jeez, get a, get a, get a, have a word with yourself, for Christ's sake. I'm joking, of course, because, you know, by processed foods, we're not just talking about the evil clown there. We're talking about fucking most things <laughs> these days. Certainly the stuff you get from the supermarkets, you know, like microwave meals and, you know, those frozen pizzas and, you know, even the biscuits that I love so much. You know, it's all filled with crap, really, isn't it? You know what I mean? That bears no resemblance to food. And that's the shit, as much as I hate to say it, that we got to start cutting down on, man. Start getting some actual food that contains actual plants that come from the earth in it, rather than something that's made in a factory and filled with all sorts of chemicals and shit. It's not natural, man, and we are. You know, we're animals and creatures of nature. As much as we like to think we're above that shit, we're not. And pumping all that highly processed, pesticide-ridden bullshit into our system is, you know, it's taking years off our life, man. Like like Tim said, you know, our um, gut bacteria is, like, significantly lower than it was 100 years ago. And it's got to be because of the, um, the arrival of processed fast foods and all of the crap that comes with it. And, you know, the plastics and the fucking shit that we pump into the air that we breathe you know we've gone mental this past hundred years haven't we so it's no surprise to see that you know that is taking a um a testable toll on our physiology so that was the five main points i thought that was really handy to have that condensed down to those five principles that you can just start to try and think about you know when you're shopping and making food and it's just a ton of other well-interesting stuff that, you know, that Tim mentioned just in that brief chat that we had. But I would definitely recommend everybody to check out the Zoe app. Like Tim said, you know, there is a free element to it. And there's also then for those of you that can afford it and really want to take a deep dive, you know, there is the full paid package, which does sound amazing. I've got to be honest. I would wholeheartedly recommend Tim's new book as well as his previous books as well, which are pretty much all bestsellers, by the way. Um, the Tim's new book, which is only a few months old, is called Food for Life, The New Science of Eating Well. So that, like I say, only came out four months ago. So that is going to be bang up to date with the most modern science from Tim's work in this field. So go and get it. I hope you found that interesting and informative and something a little bit different for the podcast. I know I did. And if you thought I was done with the sell, 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 and that you'd luckily avoided me nagging you to subscribe to the podcast this week, you're out of luck. Have you subscribed to the James Kennedy podcast? Have you? Have you told your friends to do it? Have you told your parents? Have you told the guy on the train to do it? Come on, man, help me out. You're part of this. If you're listening to this shit for free, and I give it to you for free, then, you know, you are my unofficial and unpaid promo army. Spread the word, man. Come on, it's some good shit on this podcast and there's loads more coming as well. Jesus Christ, am I excited about some of the episodes we've got coming up. I can't tell you what they are, but it's pretty fucking crazy. So hit that subscribe button, hit the follow button, hit me a star rating so I can get the ratings up, which means the podcast will get pumped out to more people through the algorithm. Leave some comments, get involved, dude. Don't be just a passive freeloading jackass. Spread the love, let other people get in on the action. And together... We'll form one ever-growing army of well-informed, well-healthy, unstoppable juggernauts that nobody can fuck with. And on that note, I bid you farewell and good night, and I will see you next week. Adios.